Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to our worship uh, here at Balhelvi. Uh, it's great that you're joining us wherever you're coming from. We're pulling in people locally, but also from uh, all across the world. And we're delighted to have you with us on this Easter Sunday. We're going to begin our worship in our opening hymn, In Christ Alone.
We're going to pray together now, and as we do so, we're going to use a short response. When I say, hallowed be your name, you respond, hallowed be your name. Let's pray together. Lord God, early in the morning, when the world was young, you made life in all its beauty and wonder. You gave birth to all that we know. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Early in the morning when the world least expected it, a newborn child crying in a cradle announced that you had come among us, that you were one of us. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Early in the morning, Surrounded by respectable liars, religious leaders, anxious statesmen and silent friends, you accepted the penalty for doing good, for being God, and shouldered and suffered the cross. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Early in the morning, a voice in a guarded graveyard and footsteps in the dew proved that you had risen, that you came back to those and for those who had forgotten, denied and destroyed you. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Early in the morning, in the multifaceted company of your church in earth and heaven, we celebrate your creation, your life, your death and resurrection, your commitment to us. And so to you we pray, Lord, bring new life where we are worn and tired. New love where we've turned hard-hearted. Forgiveness where we feel hurt or have wounded others and the joy and freedom of your spirit where we are prisoners of ourselves. Lord, you hold out forgiveness to us this morning and you ask us to trust in you for now and for the future. Thank you for drawing us into your risen life and letting us know that this life is not the end. We make all our prayers through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our first reading this morning is a poem, a sonnet in fact, by the poet Malcolm Geit, and it's called Easter Dawn. He blesses every love that weeps and grieves, and now he blesses hers who stood and wept 
and would not be consoled or leave her love's last touching place, but watched as low light crept up from the east. A sound behind her stirs, a scatter of bright bird song through the air. She turns, but cannot focus through her tears or recognise the gardener standing there. She hardly hears his gentle question, Why? Why are you weeping? Or sees the play of light that brightens as she chokes out her reply, They took my love away. My day is night. And then she hears her name. She hears love say, the word that turns her night and ours to day. When I was thinking about this Sunday, I thought it would be fun to do something for the kids. So I've asked uh, the children to send in some little short video clips. And also I've asked the adults to send in some pictures of things that symbolise uh, new life for them. Uh, so this kid's song is called Spring Has Sprung. Feel free to get up and do some uh, jumping and some aerobics as you listen. Life has begun. 
Our reading this morning is taken from John's Gospel, John chapter 20, and reading from verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Amen. So here we are, Easter Sunday, and we are thinking about the time in history when a man came back from the dead. What do we make of that in the modern world? Well, I guess the first thing to say is that technically, Jesus didn't come back from the dead. And I need to explain this with a very sophisticated prop that I've made earlier on. Some of you have seen this before. Right, here's death, okay? And we know that in the Bible story, uh, there are times when people come back from the dead. So Lazarus, Jesus' friend who he raised, Lazarus went into death. 
And then uh, just a, a few days later, Jesus spoke words over the tomb. You remember Jesus wept at his tomb and summoned him out and Lazarus came back from the dead. Or there's another story in the Gospels about um, the widow of Nain whose son had died and Jesus took pity on her. The son had gone into death and Jesus brought him back from death. But the resurrection is not that. The resurrection is that. It's Jesus punching a hole through death and right out the other side into a whole new way of living and in so doing, destroying the final hold that death had upon us. That's what the resurrection is. That's what Easter's about. He's a wee bit like, um, I always think of him as a Trojan saviour. You know the story of the, the Trojan horse that went into the city and then the soldiers poured out of it and overtook the city. In a way, Jesus is the Trojan saviour who goes into death and destroys it and overtakes it for our sake. So death doesn't have the hold on us that it used to have because of what Jesus did at Easter time. So that's that's a resurrection. That's what we're celebrating today. And I know that on the surface of things, Easter, Easter Sunday is hard to take. A man comes back from the dead, at least that's how we think of it. And that's just something that makes us sceptical. And it's, it's natural that it should do so because it's beyond our experience. We know that the world doesn't work that way. We know that when people are dead, they stay dead. These things just don't happen in our experience. But as I often remind folk in my congregation, just because something is beyond our present experience, it doesn't mean that it can't be true. If you and I were to travel today to some of the, the tribes in, uh, in the Amazon region, and if we were to show them pictures of the moon landing, show them that human beings have actually stood on that thing that they point to up in the sky, they just wouldn't believe us. Or if we were to travel back in time 200 years in our own situations and show the people there things like television and computing and, and space travel and, and, and aeroplanes, they wouldn't believe us. They'd probably burn us as witches and wizards. Which makes my point. Just because something is beyond our present experience, it doesn't mean that it can't be true. I love a good science fiction movie and the granddaddy of them all, of course, is 2001, which has held up really well given the fact that it's now quite dated. But there's a scene, a very powerful scene, where the astronauts discover this massive, perfectly rectangular monolith, this black monolith on the moon. And it's utterly alien, completely beyond their experience. Nobody has a clue where it came from or why it's there but it's an unambiguous sign of another presence and another power at work in the universe. And for me, that's what we're seeing in the resurrection, the breaking into our world of another power and another presence. And it's small wonder that we can't get our heads around it. It's utterly foreign to what we've known thus far. But where's the evidence for it? The sceptics might say, well, I've gone into that many times on Sundays. 
I'm not going to go over my arguments, but if you want to tune into last year's Easter Sunday service, which you'll get on the net, um, I go into a lot of the arguments and the, the, the proofs for the resurrection. But for me, it boils down to two key pieces of information. The change in the disciples and the way that the story is told in the four Gospels. What took the disciples from being cowards, hiding away in a locked room? You'll remember that after, you know, indeed before the crucifixion, they'd scarpered, they'd run. They'd left Jesus at Gethsemane and were hiding because they feared that they too would get the same treatment that he had got. And yet in a few short days, they're going about after the resurrection, preaching that Jesus had been raised from the dead and risking prison and martyred him for saying so. In fact, 11 of the 12, Judas being the exception, were martyred for preaching the resurrection of Christ. If it were all just an elaborate hoax, which some have argued, then you've got to admire their commitment to it. They kept the lie going all the way up to their own deaths, if that's what they were doing. I don't think that's the case. I think something turned them around. But the resurrection stories themselves, as we find them in the Gospels, give us some strong literary hints that these are authentic stories and not fabrications. One of the things that's always um, convinced me is the role of woman in the story. In the ancient world, a woman's testimony was thought not to be reliable. Women couldn't give evidence in a court of law. So if they were making up the story, they would have had men being the, test, the, the people testifying. They would have been the witnesses. But in fact, when you read the gospel stories, it's women who are first to the tomb. It's women who are bringing the news to the others, including the disciples. If you were making that story up, you wouldn't have had women as the first witnesses. So well done to the girls. Last at the cross, first at the tomb. But another strange thing about the stories is that folk often don't recognise Jesus after the resurrection. And again, if you were making the story up, why would you introduce that element of confusion? Surely what you would want would be for everybody in the story to recognise him straight away. Jesus, it's you. You are unambiguously Raised from the dead. But in today's story, John records that Mary was confused over who Jesus was, at least at first. Why would he introduce that ambiguity if it wasn't true, if it wasn't how things had actually happened? And it's that little detail that I want us to focus on this morning. The fact that in the story of Mary in the garden tomb, she didn't recognise Jesus at first. Now that sounds daft to us. How could she not recognise this man who she'd followed and, and had loved passionately? Well, maybe the answer is quite simple. Maybe she was struggling so hard with her grief that she couldn't see anything straight for a while. I've met people in those circumstances in my professional life and I'm sure you have too. Or maybe Jesus was trying to be incognito to avoid capture again 
A thousand hooded teenagers up and down the country will testify to how easy it is to hide your appearance just by putting a hood over your head. There we go. It's really that easy. So that Mary might not recognise Jesus isn't as daft as it sounds. And I have some personal anecdotal evidence to back that up. I take weddings every now and again. It's a professional hazard. And more than a few times, I've stood at the front of the church taking the wedding service for about half an hour, 40 minutes. And a couple of hours later, I'll be at the reception. I'll be standing beside someone in a queue and we'll start chatting and they'll say, so so how do you know the bride and groom? And I go, I'm the guy that just married them two hours ago. And they'll be mortified that they haven't recognised me. So either I have an eminently forgettable face, no comment, or it says that when we see people out of context and dress differently, it's not always easy to recognise them. Perhaps it's not so strange that here and in other places in the Gospels, people are initially slow to recognise the resurrected Christ. He never liked to make things too easy for us. And I think there's something important in that for you and me this morning. Let me put it this way. I think in some ways God plays hard to get. And I think he does that because he wants to see who is really interested in him. I have never dated in the Tinder era. Married for 25 years, I'm glad to say. I have no clue how all of that stuff works. Swipe left, swipe right. I haven't a clue what it means. But back in my day, here's how it worked. A girl would sometimes play it cool with a guy just to see how serious he was. Was he just chancing his arm? Or was he really interested? Would he give up and move on if she knocked him back? Or would he persist and try harder because he felt that she was worth it? Pretty soon, she would work out who was serious about her and who wasn't. And I guess guys would sometimes do the same too. Lots of people came to see and hear Jesus during his lifetime. He had lots of fans. Not so many followers though. And that's because he deliberately made things challenging for them. Nobody who sets their hand to the plough and then looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven, he said. Hard words. But he needed to know. Who would go the distance with him? Who would stick in? Those were the kind of people that he wanted to gather around himself. And it's no accident that the people he got close to in life, the people who really wanted to know him, are the people that he appeared to once he'd risen from the dead. He didn't turn up in Herod's palace or in Pilate's courtyard or in the middle of the Sanhedrin and say, told you so guys, here I am, back from the dead. Now in some senses that would have been the logical thing to do. But that was never his way. 
he didn't have to prove anything except to those who loved him. And it was to them that he appeared. The folk who followed and who lingered with him in life were the ones to whom the risen Christ made himself known after he came back from death. And it was when he said or did something that was personal for them that they finally realised who he was. It was when he said Mary in the way that he'd always said her name that she realised that it truly was him in the garden. It was only when the Emmaus disciples saw him break and bless the bread in the familiar style that they knew so well that they realised who he was. It was only when the disciples in the upper room saw the nail prints in his hands and the spear wound in his side that they believed. And the truth of the Easter story hits home with us when we realise that it's speaking directly to us down all the centuries. And when we know that the risen Jesus is calling us by name. I grew up going to church from childhood. But it was only when I started really looking for Christ myself in my late teens that it all became real. And I don't think it's a coincidence that when I started looking seriously, I started finding seriously. Seek and you will find. That's what the gospel says. We live in an age of instant everything. Instant relationships, instant coffee, blech. instant information, instant communication. But there's something about the way that God deals with us that won't be rushed and that can't be understood by folk who aren't prepared to linger and to look for him and commit to that. So what are you waiting for this morning if you are waiting? A thunderbolt from heaven? Writing on the wall? Some final logical proof that this story is real. Well, my fear for you is that you can wait from now to kingdom come and those things will never come. It doesn't work that way. Here's how it works. You take the initiative. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. That's what the Bible says. So why not take a risk this Easter? Read a gospel. Encounter this Jesus for yourself through the story of his life. Stumble your way through an honest, open-hearted prayer and see what happens. Talk to a friend about this, somebody who may be further down the road of faith than, than you are. And can help you. Or speak to me. I would love to, to talk to you about this over the phone or over email or Facebook. Whatever your chosen method of communication is. That's what I'm here for. 
And folks, you know where I'm going to be for the next few weeks. I would love to talk to you about this. Draw near to God, the Bible says, and God will draw near to you. God isn't nearly as hard to get as people seem to think. But it's only those who get serious about looking for him who actually end up finding him. Amen. And thanks be to God for his word. We're going to join together now in our prayers for others. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, it wasn't just you who was broken that day they hung you on a cross. It was your disciples too. Their hearts were broken. Their fear taking over and killing all hope. And it wasn't just you who rose again the day you emerged from the tomb. It was your disciples too. As hope filled their hearts and faith was rekindled and courage found. So come to us now where we are broken, fearful or simply sad. Speak our names. Reach out to us in body, mind and spirit. And help us experience the newness of life which you alone can bring. Lord, we pray today for those known to us who need your presence, even if they don't realise it, even if they fear it. Those who simply exist when you intended them to live. Those who time and time again choose instant pleasure over lasting peace. Those still fearful with no answers to the riddle of their own life or the life of the world. Those who are weakened by illness or age those who know that they are dying. This morning we particularly remember the situation we're in with the COVID-19 pandemic, committing all who are working so hard into your care and remembering all those who are suffering loss in these days. Bear them up with a strength beyond their own to see them through this time May they find in you a resting place where they can know peace even in the midst of the storm. Lord, the situations that we have prayed about may not change as we would like them to, but the people we've prayed for may be changed within them as they hear the same words you spoke to the woman by the tomb and the disciples in the locked room Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Lord, may they find that peace. May they shed that fear. May they know you, their God, real in those situations, bringing courage and hope out of the darkness of the tomb. Because we ask all these things in the name of Christ Jesus, our friend, our saviour and our risen Lord.
Our closing hymn is Lord I Lift Your Name on High. Now go in the peace and in the presence of the risen Christ and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.